Well, good morning, church. Happy Labor Day weekend to you all. I hope you are enjoying it so far. Maybe you've got more plans ahead of you. Whatever they are, I pray that you uh, are safe and enjoy it. Uh, Maybe you're heading out to the Fulton County Fair. I'm not sure. I was just talking to somebody earlier. I was thinking, you know, we've gone from wanting to um, judge maybe our kids and make our kids look good. Now we, now we, we show animals and we want our animals to get ribbons. Did you ever think about that? I, I grew up in the fair. I've, I showed all kinds of animals. I'm thinking, I was trying to make my pig look good. I was trying to make my cow look good. It's like, that's sort of goofy when I started thinking about it. But it's the world we live in, right? Uh, enjoy the fair. Enjoy that time out there looking at the animals. The kids got a lot of projects out there. Maybe some good old fair food. Maybe that's the only reason some of you go. Uh, enjoy it. Grab your Bibles, would you please, and open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. We began last week with eight Beatitudes, eight characteristics, eight traits of, of that of a follower of Jesus Christ. These eight things describe your faith journey. They don't make you a Christian. They are part of who you are as a Christian. They help you uh, grow and move forward as you're going through your journey. They are expressive of us kingdom people. See, God's got this kingdom going. Jesus shares about his kingdom. We are part of his kingdom. And he says, as my people, as people who belong to this kingdom, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. And so we look at these Beatitudes, and, and, we, and if you remember last week, I mean, some of them are sort of weird. Some of them are sort of crazy compared to the world, compared to the world, right? And it's like, you start living this way, it's like preaching on a ladder. People are going to look at you strange, right? And they're thinking, what are you doing? You're thinking, I'm a kingdom person. This is the way God's called me to live. So you're going to help me out here. I'm going to say great joy, and you're going to say way to go. Let's try it. Great joy. Excellent job. Excellent job. Because what happens here in the Beatitudes is Jesus says, God blesses. So it's like when God blesses, God is saying, way to go. Congratulations. You're getting it. I'm putting my blessings upon you. Okay? So we're going to go through those eight review real quick because they're going to tie into where we're going next. Okay? Let's see how we're doing here. Okay? Here we go. Great joy. There you go. It says God to those who are spiritually bankrupt. You, you have nothing left in your tank. You don't know God, but you're seeking God out. And you get to that point in your life when you are so low, so despised, you're basically saying, I need to go to God. You're so poor in spirit that you find him. Great joy. Excellent. Says God to those who mourn. Those who, who weep, you are like disgusted with your sin. You're disgusted with where the world is. And you mourn and God says, you're going to be comforted. Great joy to those who are meek. You show self-control. you got power under control. It's like instead of taking the, 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 the world by the reins and saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to choose how I'm going to make my decision right now, you're like, I'm going to trust God in this moment. Blessed are those who are meek or humble. Great joy are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We want to be right with God. We don't want any kind of fractions between us and God. We want to make better choices. We want to become like Jesus himself. And so we want to see his holiness, his righteousness. Great joy to those who are merciful, because you'll be shown mercy. It's so hard to show mercy, isn't it? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. When we see somebody do something, and we're like, oh, you know what you deserve? We want to shame them. We want to embarrass them. We want to retaliate. 
God says, I've shown you mercy. Great joy. Way to go for those of you who are going to show mercy to others. It will be in return shown to you. Great joy whose hearts are pure. Those who are pure in heart, you're not trying to hide anything from God. You're very transparent with him. God, I've got nothing to hide from you. Forgive me. I, I want to live for you. I want, I want to seek after you. And then the joy of that is you will see God. You have more intimacy with God. Great joy for those who are pursuing peace. You're not a pot stirrer. You are a peace Maker, You are looking in this tumultuous times that we live in, a very uh, angry, violent time, um, a lot of discussion and disagreements going on, and you're like one of those, I'm going to be a peacemaker in this moment. Great joy. You could, you're all doing well, by the way. Good job. For those who are being persecuted for doing right. Again, this is an upside-down, crazy thing that, that Jesus is teaching here compared to the world. And here's the thing. When you live for God, when you're living out all these things, you're going to be so different from the world. The world's going to look at you and they're going to point their finger at you and say, you're odd. They're going to label you. You might become called a bigot, a hater of certain people. You might only be called names, but you're also going to be maybe treated unfairly. You're going to be criticized. You might even be physically abused. It's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted because you're living this way as kingdom people in a world that doesn't care. Blessed are you. Great, great joy. Way to go. Oh, I'm sorry. You, 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 you did well. i got to make sure I'm careful when I say great joy. You have done well for being persecuted. I'm going to take care of you. And and right after he gets done with this, you look at the next part of the scripture, and it's like, so you're being persecuted. And here's the thing. When you get persecuted, when you get made fun of because of your faith, people think, oh, you're a Christian. You're going to act that way? And then they start saying stuff. Here's what happens. It's called fight or flight. We either stand up for what we believe or we run. We either show up or we hide. That's what happens with our faith. It's like, okay, do, do I engage in this or do I retreat because I'm being labeled, I'm being criticized, I'm being talked badly about. And so I believe this next part, Jesus is like, I know you're feeling persecuted, but let me remind you of some truth and let me give you a command. So in your Bibles, you have Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 13 with me. Jesus says this, You're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. First thing he says is, you're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Has anybody ever called you salty before? Because you know, you know what that means if it's slang, right? You're irritating, you're an angry person, you're a little salty, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. And then you start thinking in your mind, well, what is he talking about? There's all kinds of salt. There's, there's seasoning. Uh, I'm going to throw it on the, on the sidewalk. If, if my sidewalk gets icy, I'm gonna, I've got a water softener. I put salt. There's all kinds of different kinds of salt. What is Jesus talking about? So you have to go back to biblical times. What salt would he been referring to? Why does he use the word salt? Why does he call you salt? It's a great question. First, understand this. Salt has value. Matter of fact, back in the Roman, Roman times, in the Middle Ages, salt was a valued commodity. It was, it was actually labeled white gold. White gold. 
There was a high demand for salt because it was so important to pack meat and try, and try to preserve things from spoiling, especially meat and fish. So being so valuable, sometimes Roman soldiers, they'd show up to get paid and they're like, here's your bag of salt. And like, yes. Now, if you all showed up uh, on Friday at the HR department and instead of getting a check or something, depositing your bank account, they're like, here's your bag of salt. You're like, what? I quit, right? You're like, I bag of salt, huh? No, the Roman soldiers were excited. They were payment. That's, again, white gold. Why is that? Because they knew, now I can go pack my fish, pack my meat. I'll rub it in them. I'm going to keep it from decaying. It was very valuable. So I love what this is. Like Jesus looks at us and says, hey, first of all, church, listen very carefully. You are valuable. No matter what you've been told, no matter how you've been treated, no matter what you think of yourself or the devil whispers into your ear and says, you're not good enough. Who cares about you? The devil can whisper all he wants, but Jesus shouts, you have value. You're created with purpose. You're created with value. And Jesus reminds us, you're salt. You have value. But here's another thing. You have this preserving influence. Salt was used to prevent preserve meats, slow down the decay process. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have coolers. They didn't have freezers. So they would take salt, rub it into meat, and try to preserve it to make it last maybe a little bit longer than it would have without the salt. And so Jesus looks at us and says, you are the ones that are going to help preserve this culture. I created a world that I wanted my name to be known, but right now it's decaying. It's getting darker. Christians, you are the ones that are going to slow down the decay process. You're the ones that are going to preserve my name. And so as a Christian, we're sitting there thinking, when I look at this corrupt world, what can I do to slow down the decay? So there's so many ministries out there. you got churches, you got school ministries, you got college-age ministries, you got missions, all these kind of things that go on and try to do things to slow down the decay process. One of the things that I, I obviously enjoy doing about working with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes is teaching our young people, hey, when you're with your ball team, when you're with your, your runners, your swimmers, whoever it might be, pause as a team. Matter of fact, I challenge you to pray with another team. When, the, when, when you're all done playing, done competing, circle up. Pray with them. Why? Because you're going to pause for a moment and give God thanks. God, thank you for the skills and the gifts that you've given us. That we can actually use them and have fun and compete. Thank you that we were able to get out here and enjoy this. And then you pray for maybe your opponent. Give them safety as they drive home. Keep them safe. Maybe you pray for somebody that got injured, they, they twisted an ankle. Maybe pray for healing for them. God, thank you that we could be here. Now, you've probably seen a lot of pictures that we've posted in the past with FCA, and these are the things I love seeing, okay? But here's the thing. If you're in the world right now, church, listen very carefully. You're salt. You're trying to slow the decay. You will be criticized for that. People don't like this. Like, how can they not like this? Exactly, I don't understand. But we live in a dark world that doesn't like things like this. Posted a very similar picture of this. A few years ago, somebody commented on it. I didn't know how to reply to that comment, so I didn't say anything. And, of course, I'm, I'm the kind of person, like, after I have a conversation with you, I'll, I'll leave. And it's like, oh, I should have said that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's me, okay? So it's like I didn't know how to reply. So about a month later, I'm thinking, or maybe it was a couple weeks, I'm like, oh, that would have been good to say. But it's too late to go back now and comment on it. And I was like, eh, 
I have to remember this the next time. So here's the thing. The person commented on a picture like this and said, yeah, I remember being a part of that in high school. I had to circle up with everybody else because the whole team was doing it, and I did not enjoy it. I was being forced to do something I did not want to do. I don't think this is good for people. And I'm sitting there thinking, how can you say that, right? Because that person didn't want to give God glory. Maybe that person was not a Christian. Maybe that person doesn't believe in God. Okay, I get that. But what were we doing in that prayer? Was it something horrible? We're thanking a higher power. We're thanking God for a gift that was given. So I'm a thankful person. Is that being bad, being a thankful person? I was praying for safety for you to go on the way home. Is it bad to be a loving person? I was, I was praying for healing for some, some, maybe some pains and aches and after the competition. Is that bad to wish good upon you? So what's so bad about that? And then I, my, my response would have been, what is so bad about those things? But... I understand you didn't want to be forced to be a part of it. Here's the thing. All three of my sons played sports. All three of my sons were forced, when they were part of the team, to be in a locker room where things got talked about that should have not been talked about. My sons were forced to have phone text message groups with their teammates that included things that they should not be looking at with their eyes, pictures of girls or things that said about things. Or to sit in a locker room and talk about what you did with that girl the other night. My boys were forced to sit in that culture and hear it and be a part of it. It's a decaying culture. And so maybe I should post, yeah, I don't like sports because my boys are forced to be a part of all that junk. But see, there's good stuff in athletics. Well, you can go both ways, right? But the world is not going to look at something like this and say it's good. But Jesus says, you're salt. Get out there. And help a decaying world. Help preserve my goodness. Here's another thing about salt. Salt also adds flavor. You, we are flavorable people. I hope that sounds correct, right? Just think about this. We are called to go spice up things, to brighten up things, to add better life around us in our church and in the communities. Here's the thing. It's not just our church. There's a lot of churches that do this. But how can we spice up? How can we add flavor to this community? Well, people are hungry. People need food. So we have a food pantry. So we can spice up. We can, we can help others add flavor to a starving or a hungry community by feeding people. Or by, at Christmas, helping those with special needs, giving them Christmas gifts. Or at school, start of school, a lot of people need books and paper and markers and so forth. And the church says, how about we all collect items and bless people? That is how you add flavor. You look into the community that's, you see something going on that's sort of bland or hurting, and you say, how can I add flavor to that? That's what churches do. That's what the body of Christ does. That's how we add flavor. Now, here's the thing about this. Jesus says, you have value. You're slowing down the decaying process of this world and you are adding flavor. But be careful. If you lose your flavor, you're no good. If you lose your saltiness, you're no good. Jesus referred to salt in other passages. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, in Luke chapter 14, verse 34, first in Mark, he uses these strong words. Jesus likes saying, if your eye causes you sin, gouge it off. If your hand causes you sin, cut it off. It's like, what is he saying? And you got to go study that and make sure you understand. Basically, you're getting ruthless with sin. If there are bad, horrible, negative, sinful things in your life, you got to do everything you can to get rid of it. That was that passage in Mark. In Luke, 
chapter 14, Jesus talks about counting the cost. If you're going to be a disciple, you better count the cost. It costs something to follow Jesus. Both of those passages, basically Jesus saying, if you are going to be ruthless towards sin and you're going to be all in for me, that's great. And right when he gets done finishing talking about both of those things, he says, because you are like salt. And he talks again, basically connecting this phrase, this picture here, with how you should live as a Christian. If you're all in, if you're fully committed to Christ, if you're saying, I want to get rid of sin in my life, then the next thing for us is this, then you better get salty and not the slang salty. You have value, slow down to decay, add seasoning to this world. Jesus pivots then and he goes to another picture. This time, look at verse 14 and 15. He says, as followers of Jesus, we should be like light. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the room. So Jesus gives you and I this incredible command and compliment. I'm looking at this. This is like, wait a second, wait a second. Where have I seen this before? And I'm looking, I'm looking. John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus said this. He goes, Jesus spoke to the crowd, the people once more, and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he looks at us and goes, you're the light of the world. What an incredible compliment. And now what a huge responsibility put on us, right? Because he is the light of the world. Now he says, now you're going to be the light of the world. And that title is actually given to rabbis at one time. If you were a prominent rabbi, they'd say, he is a light to our community. And he was called a light. Just like, no, no, no. You're my follower. You are the light of the world. He doesn't stop right there. Because, you know, he's, he's, I mean, you, you think about this, like, I'm not sending another Jesus, another angel. It's you. You are the light. And, and when he says we are not just light receivers, we're light givers, you have to start thinking about this a little more. It's like, well, what does that really look like? How am I going to be a light to the world? I've got to be flashy, right? I've got to be like, Dan, you can help me out here. Uh, I'm going to be like a strobe light. I'm going to like, bam, 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 right? I'm just going to like, I'm just going to like, this is the kind of light I want to be. Just like, you know, it's like, oh, I feel like there should be, we better stop before somebody gets a seizure. Thank you. Um, like there should be a party going on, right? Or maybe it's like, I want to control your emotions right now. So we're just going to, we're just going to dim the lights. We're just going to bring them down. And, you know, we could do the same thing with the house lights if we wanted to. But, or we could have a light show. Man, let's be entertaining, Let's just get all crazy and you know, like beautiful colors and all that kind of, yeah, okay. But that's not what we're talking about. Go back in biblical times, there could have been a campfire. There could have been a lantern. But typically in the house, you had your oil lamp. It's just a simple oil lamp. Steady burning process. Nothing flashy. It was, you couldn't dim it or make it brighter. Simple, steady. Jesus, you're the light of the world. I'm just asking you to be simple. I'm asking you to be steady. I'm asking you to be consistent. I want you to shine for me. Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 21, Jesus tells another parable about sowing seeds into the right soil. And he's referring to our heart and, and the word of God. And when it's planted, when it grows, there's obedience. When we, when we hear, when we listen and obey, there's, there's usually some kind of harvest, right? 
Jesus said this right after he got done with that parable. He goes, would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or under bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. It's placed on a stand where a light can be seen by all who enter the house. It's also said in Luke chapter 8, verse 16. Two different scriptures after that parable. It's like Jesus says, hey, you know what? When you hear my word, when you receive it, and growth starts taking place, somebody's going to see a harvest, right? I don't know one farmer that says, I spent all spring planting. I hope nothing grows. Why would a farmer say that? A farmer's planted, worked hard, seeds in, praying that the soil is there, that the sun, the water, everything takes place that needs to take place for growth, and then boom, there's a harvest, right? Jesus is saying, I have put myself in you, my spirit in you. You are a light. You should produce. There should be some kind of evidence. And I love how he often ties Scripture together, as he did there. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gets in on this. He's like, oh, I want to talk about lightness and darkness too. I know Jesus talked about it. I want to throw my thoughts in. We're going to, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to pass through some of these scriptures and go to verse 8. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So listen, church. Once we were apart, we were sinners separated from a holy God. But then we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. And now we have this light in us. Paul says, so live as people of light. Verse 9, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of opportunity in these evil days. I mean, this scripture isn't telling us how to get right with God. We're already right with God because we've repented. We've asked for forgiveness. And thanks to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he forgives us, he saves us, and then he gives us his Holy Spirit. Now he says, now go live for me. Live like children of the light. Living for God is simply doing those good things, being salt, being light in a dark place. Jesus knows we're going to get persecuted for acting and believing what we believe. And he says, you know what? Instead of running, stand up. Be the salt. Be the light in your community. You have incredible value. Now, Peter, who walked with Jesus, one of his disciples, he gets in on this too. He's like, I'm going to write some stuff down too. So in his first book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Peter's like, hey, I get it, man. It's a dark world out there, and it's very easy to want to blend in with this dark world. But you're temporary residents here. You are aliens here. We don't, but this is not our home church. So while we're here visiting, until Jesus comes back to take us home, or until we go to see him, we need to understand this. We don't fit in. We're salty. We're light. 
We don't fit in. And we, we need to shine, but here's the problem. Did you see what else uh, Jesus said? He said, don't put your uh, lights under a basket. There's a lot of things that we often ourselves, it isn't so much that the world's trying to extinguish us. Sometimes we, we take our own basket and, and we cover up maybe what could be shining. You can label these baskets anything you want. You can label them complacency. You can label them embarrassment. You, you can label them resentment, stubbornness to obey. Whatever you want to call it, we, we take these things in our life and we, we sort of cover up the light that could be shining. Like, how do we do that? By being quiet when maybe we should speak. Somebody says something, maybe we should speak up and say something, but nah, I'm not going to say anything. Just put the basket over the light. Maybe we're just going along with the crowd. Maybe we're just going to agree with sin. Somebody tells a, a joke or says something you know is wrong. You're like, <laughs> that's a good one. No, no, it really wasn't a good one. But I'm laughing. I'm agreeing with them. But I'm laughing with them, right? And it's like, you might as well just take the basket and cover up your life because now they don't know what you believe. We do it on social media often. People post things and you're like, oh, they're my friend. I better like it, even though I know it's very ungodly. Even though I know it's not true. Even though I know it's sort of, that's not funny. But I'm like, well, I better like it because, I, you know, I, I'm their friend. <laughs> Maybe I should repost it. Maybe I should share it. And it's like, stop. Because all we're doing is taking our basket and covering up our light. If you look at a friend of yours, they posted something, and you think, that's not good. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. You are salt. You are light. Slow down the decay. Be a light. Maybe there's certain sin in your life that you struggle with. That's a, that's, a, that's a basket that covers up the light real quick. Maybe we need to get honest with God. Maybe we need to confess to God and ask him to help us with the temptation of these sins. Not explaining our lights to others. In that series, we did a whole series on defending your faith and having an answer ready, anchoring into the truth. Not sharing is a good way to cover up your light. Think about this. We have to ask ourselves, have we hid our lights? I hope not. Jesus says, you're like a city on a hill. Do you, you ever see like the, a city that's sort of tucked away up in the mountains or somewhere and it's all lit up at night? When I saw this picture, I'm thinking, yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about, I think. It's, it's, you can't hide that city. You look at it from a distance, like you can't take your eyes off of it. In the same way, Jesus says, you are my kingdom people. When you are living for me, you are shining like a city on a hill. People are going to see you. They're going to point at you. That's the kind of person you should be. And it's like, yeah, so I can, what, pat myself on the back? No, this isn't for your glory. We'll get to that in a second. He says we're supposed to set our light on a lampstand. The whole idea of a lampstand is we are to be intentional about letting our light shine. If I were to walk in a room and I put a, a light on on the floor, I, I turn on my light. It's on my light, right? I need to be intentional about taking my light, putting it up on a, on a lampstand. Why? Because now it's going to provide more light. And not, you know, if I can get better at this, back in biblical times, they didn't have this. We have it now. We put it right into the ceiling. If we were to take all these lights on the ceiling and put them on the floor, this would be a very dark room. If we were to put them about halfway, it'd light up a little bit. But if we put them up in the ceiling in the most prominent place, now we can really light up the area. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's a very intentional thing on our part to say, I need to be a light and I need to put myself in a position where I can go against the most darkness as possible. 
And again, why? Why do I do this? Verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The purpose is letting our light shine and doing good works so that God gets the glory. Not us. You do something good, way to go. I hope people look at you and say, who taught you that? My heavenly Father did, my Abba. And we point to God and say, he's the one that gets the credit. We, we need to be that light. You think about what that light source can do? We're able to help others. You think about it, you walk around in a dark room, you turn on the light, why? So you don't stumble, so you don't stub your toes, right? You don't want to get injured. We need light to keep us from getting injured, to show us the way. You put maybe a light in a dark room because your child is maybe afraid of the dark. Light removes fear. Light gives us the ability to read when it's a dark room. It's like, I turn on the light so I can, so I can read, right? Light helps us understand more, grow more. It shows us the way. Light is so important. We need to understand, he's calling you the light. He's calling me the light. And so we shine, not for our glory, but for his glory, for his glory. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Peter, remember he said, don't live as temporary, or you, you are temporary residents, you're aliens here. Look what he said in the very next verse. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, which they will, like circling up and praying, oh, that's such a horrible thing, right? They will see your honorable behavior and they will what? Give honor to God when he judges the world. People see what you do. They may or not understand why, but we know why. We do it for God's glory, not ours. But there will be some people that will understand that. When I look at this scripture, I understand this. We're living in a rotting, decaying world and salt is needed. We are called salt. And if, here's the thing about being in Christianity. If we are rotting and decaying, we can't help preserve this world. We're no good. Light is needed because we are living in a dark world. And if our Christianity initiates darkness, we have nothing to show the world. To be effective, we must seek and display the saltiness and the light of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. And here's one more thing, and this is a big thing. He said, you are the light of the world. Oh, not of this community. Not of Wauseon, Pettisville, Delta, Archibald, just keep naming them all, Napoleon. Whatever community you're from, you aren't supposed to be just a light there. You are a light to the world. We have a big commission ahead of us. I love it that our church and many other churches in our area we support missionaries, people who are overseas, people who are in other states. I had a conversation with a missionary from our church earlier this week. They stopped in to say hi. They're heading back out. Uh, I can't give his name because we're on, on, uh, online and, and we got to keep some things private here because he's uh, being smuggled back into his country. Because where he's going right now, Christians are not being allowed back in and he's going back in because he's got to translate scripture and help this uh, Christian school where he works at in this foreign country. I'm like, and he's getting smuggled in. That's sort of scary, right? We're like, when's the last time we had to smuggle anybody into Pettisville to share the word of God? 
Hasn't happened, right? But there are parts of the world where things like that happen. And we're saying, you know, we're going to support missions overseas. The Dominican Republic, Russia, Ukraine, wherever it is, we're going to support missionaries. Because we're light to the world. To the world. Church, I want to encourage you. And when, when I get done here and I would be praying, I say, go be the church. You know what we're doing? We're emptying the salt shaker. This is like a big salt shaker here. When I say go be the church, you are being dumped. Salt's no good if it stays in the salt shaker. It's got to be dumped out, right? I use, often use this illustration like this. Picture our church as being a big ocean liner, a big cruise ship. And we enjoy hanging out with each other and other Christians. And we have a good time. And we look out into the world. We look out into the ocean. And we see people out in the ocean. And these small little boats. And, and some people are drowning. And we're like, oh, look at them. They need Jesus. They, they need to be a part of the church. Swim harder. Come this way. Come to our church. And we're all content, like, you can do it. Come on, that's good. Yep. And it's like we're content with, like, just being in our own little holy huddle while people are drowning. And we, we just, if they could just get to the church, they'll be okay. Listen, church, here's what we're called to do. We're called to get in those things called lifeboats. They're on the side of the ship. Let down into the water and get out to them and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, why don't you come on in with me? We want to help save you from where you're at right now. Please, you know, we give them the option. Get in with us, and then we bring them back over to the cruise ship, and we get back on here, and we say, let's, let's t- teach you about what you just learned. Let's get you some new clothes on. Let's help you get refreshed. That's the role of what we're doing as a church, and we do no good if we just get all comfortable on deck here. We have to get out, like the salt out of the salt shaker. We need to get out and be the salt and the light into this world. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, that you look at us and you say we have value. Of all things, you are an incredible great God in which we, whom we worship, and yet you look at us and say, oh, you have value. You're salt. And you, you choose to use us in a decaying, corrupt world to be salt, to be light, to shine for you. What an incredible thing you are calling us to. So God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for this church that we understand who we are in you, salt and light. And God, speak to our hearts right now. How can we be better at getting out of the salt shaker? How can we get better at shining for you? And when all is said and done, when we figure that out and we start doing it, we just want to give you all the glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we get to serve you, that we get to live for you, that we get to go out and do these things and then we give you the glory. We point to you and say, you are God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. Bless them. Encourage them. Help them to be salty and bright. We want to sing to you now, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen. Amen.